Let me encourage you to turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 3, with me this morning. We've been thinking lots about identity, and as I've already said in this series, I think identity is closely bound up with a sense of belonging. And I do not know, I've, ne- I've yet to meet a single human being who does not desire to belong. To belong somewhere. To belong to something. Sometimes we find that sense of belonging, we attach it to geographical places. Maybe we attach it to the place we currently live in. Maybe we attach part of our, our identity and our sense of belonging to the places we grew up. Last month, I picked up a book that had been on my shelf uh, for quite some time, but I was reading it for the first time, and it was written by the late Deborah Rawson, who uh, the uh, library on the other side of Jericho is actually named after. And it's called Without a Farmhouse Near. Any of you read this back back in the day? It was published in the mid-1980s. Um, And Rawson, I don't believe, grew up here, but had family here in Jericho, actually right out on Silly Hill Road, the Rawson family, the Rawson farm. And she was writing, again, almost four decades ago now, about a shift that was already underway in Jericho and Underhill, where all of these these people, whether they were attached to IBM or or other lines of of work, were were coming from more urban, more developed spaces, and finding Vermont as this this beautiful place of of refuge and retreat. And they were moving into places like Jericho and Underhill. And so the, the fabric of these communities was rapidly changing. Now, Jericho might not seem like a, a big town to you, but over the last 50 or 60 years, it's nearly tripled in population. So So there are changes that come along with that. One of the the things I love about the book is it has all of these interviews with individual residents. Some of them are farmers, some of them are conservationists, some of them are developers, kind of sharing their perspective on what this place should or could or was about. And one of those interviews is with a woman named Lynn Erb. Uh, Again, many of the names in the book would be familiar to you if you picked it up even today. Lynn uh, is someone who moved to Jericho in the 1960s after growing up in the Midwest. And she says what drew her here was, was the charm of this town. She says, quote, I'm always grateful I moved to a place that is so beautiful. So I am concerned about it. And in particular, uh, Lynn was concerned about conserving the natural beauty of this place. But later in that same chapter, she also confesses that after buying a home and putting her own roots down in Jericho, she also became like many of those who've moved here. She says, quote, I would like to close the door behind me, meaning I'd like to to keep this place for myself, right? I'm not all that excited about others discovering what I've discovered. She says, even though she she senses that or feels that it wasn't an attitude she was necessarily proud of. And I appreciate the honesty of of that reflection. 
I think most of us, when we find a place, a space that we belong, that we love, that we delight in, there's something that usually follows closely thereafter. And that's a concern to protect that space. A concern that, that maybe sometimes looks like dictating who else gets to belong to that place we love. Right? Who gets to be an insider? Who needs to stay on the outside? When we deeply love something, when something is deeply connected to our, our identity, we also want to protect it. We want to protect it from the arrival of, of new things that might cause it to change or, or might upset the, the balance of that place we love. I think that, too, is part of our human nature. And so there, there are these two right, deeply felt human needs. One, the need to belong somewhere. And then, alongside of that, our desire to protect the places we belong to, to conserve them, to defend them. And both of those felt needs are, I think, squarely in the background of our scripture passage this morning. We're looking at the, the letter of Paul to the Galatian church. And Galatians is a lot like this book without a farmhouse near. It's all about who belongs, not in Jericho, Vermont, but who belongs in the church. Who gets to, to claim their rightful place in the church of Jesus Christ. And remember that the church in the first century when Paul is writing is, is a movement, it's a community that has been given sort of birth through a different community, right? The church came out of the Jewish faith. Jesus was a Jew. All the disciples were Jews. The church began in Israel. And so there was a, a decidedly Jewish sort of identity within the first century church. New Testament scholar Craig Keener says, in the letter of Galatians, though, Paul is kind of in a battle. He has clear opponents that he is speaking against. And Paul's opponents are specifically Jewish Christians who have come after Paul. So Paul left right the Holy Land. He went out from Israel. He was traveling throughout Europe and, and in Greece in particular. And he planted these churches in Galatia. Most of the people who respond to Paul were not Jews. They were Gentiles. And so after Paul moved along to other places, these Jewish Christians came in behind Paul, and they, they, on the one hand, were delighted to find converts there, but they wanted those converts to look like they did and to adopt their customs and culture. And one of the things that they insisted on was that every non-Jewish male who had faith in Jesus Christ must also fulfill the law of Israel. And that meant being circumcised. Now imagine being a fully grown adult male and having to face that, that decision, right? We're, we're glad you're here. We're, we're, we're excited for you to belong to our community. There's just one more thing you need to do. That would be a difficult thing to, to embrace. But it was out of this desire, right, to, to preserve and to hand down the customs of their, their forefathers that the, these Jewish Christians were saying, this is how you belong. This is how you become one of God's people. Now today, we probably don't see the keeping of Old Testament law. We don't see circumcision as, a, as an indicator of who belongs and who doesn't. 
But I think we probably have our own list of identity markers that we've put in their place. Right? Ways that we size up who, who's welcome, who we extend hospitality to, and, and the way we size up who maybe doesn't fit very well here. And so this morning, I want to come to Galatians 3, and I want to ask these questions. Right? How is it that we know if we belong in the church? How do we know if we belong among God's people? And particularly, on what grounds is that sense of belonging available or established? So let me open up to that passage of Scripture. Would you pray with me as we do that? Lord, it's my prayer that every child, every woman, every man who is together with us today would sense the welcome and the hospitality of your gospel. That you would put our hearts to rest. You would cause us to put down roots into the place of belonging established in you and through you, Jesus. And may we come to understand how we reflect that invitation as a community to others who are different from us. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth as I preach, may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. In your name we pray. Amen. So Galatians 3 is uh, this extended argument from Paul, starting at the beginning of the chapter about how we establish our, our sense of belonging. And he takes issue with, with one approach that would say, the way you show you belong here is to keep the law, the Jewish law. Keep every you know, part and facet of the law, and circumcision in particular. And Paul sort of says in chapter 3, if, if you want to go that route and say that's how you demonstrate your belonging, it's like trying to go to court and attempting to prove to the judge that you have never broken any part of the law, anywhere, ever. Paul says, due to the curse of sin, right, that's just not possible. Due, due to the curse of sin, all of us have failed to keep the obligations of the law somewhere along the line. Paul says, if law is the basis for our belonging, then none of us is in. None of us belongs. But he says, the great news, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that rather than making legal requirements the basis for belonging in God's family, we've been given a promise instead. A promise that Paul says was given first to Abraham centuries ago, but a promise that Paul says was fulfilled, was, came to fruition in his own lifetime with the coming of Jesus, the perfectly righteous, the perfectly faithful Son of God. And he says, on the basic basis of Jesus' perfect sonship, there's this open door, this open invitation into God's family. If we would join our lives to the promise Jesus has fulfilled. And that brings us to verse 26, where Paul says, So in Christ Jesus. So in the, the perfect, perfectly faithful, perfectly righteous perfectly fulfilling promise keeper of Christ Jesus. So in him, you are all children of God through faith. Verse 27, for all of you who were baptized into Christ 
have clothed yourselves with Christ. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and you are heirs according to the promise. What is Paul saying about who belongs and how they belong? Again, let me remind you, Galatians is a contentious letter. There's a struggle going on in the back of of why Paul is writing. And Paul is, is stepping into an argument, again, about who are the insiders, who are the outsiders when it comes to God's family. Who has the right to say, I am a child of God. I belong here. And in the the midst of that struggle and the intensity of this letter, one of those climactic moments that that Paul builds to is right here at the end of chapter 3, starting in verse 26. Right? He's, he's He's in all the details of this argument and that argument, and then he arrives at verse 26. And verse 26 in the original Greek text starts with the word pantes, which is all. And I have a feeling if Paul was typing this in an email, he would smack on the caps lock. And that all would be A-L-L, right? All. He says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God. Not you over here, not you over here, not this special interest group, not this faction. You are all children of God. Everyone Anyone who desires to be part of this family, Paul says, there is one entry point. And it's not circumcision. It's not on the basis of who your grandparents were. There's no lengthy screening process to decide whether you are pre-approved for the church of Jesus Christ. Paul says, all become sons of God through the sheer simplicity of faith. Faith in Christ Jesus. And faith, I think, is basically this. Faith is trusting that if Jesus belongs in God's family, which I think most of us would say it's safe, safe to place that bet. Faith says, if Jesus belongs in this family, then so do I. That's what faith looks like. Faith, Paul says, makes us God's children. Because it's, It's a a grasping, it's a laying hold of, it's a trusting in what Jesus possesses. You don't have to do anything to belong here. You don't have to be any particular kind of person to stake a claim here. Paul says the gospel is that Christ is all. Christ has done all. Christ has blown open wide the doors of his church. And all we do in response is step into, lean into his faithfulness. That's our faith. Our faith is a response to Christ's faithfulness. What's difficult, I think, for many of us, though, is that faith in many ways is is hard to, to demonstrate. We have a hard time Right? It's not tangible in, in any particular way. You can't say, show me 
your faith and, and produce it in something concrete. But there, I think, is one exception to that within the Christian church. Jesus has given us this one beautiful and gracious gift. It's actually a sacrament in the church. And it's a place where we get to visibly demonstrate or proclaim our faith. And it's in the act of baptism. And I think that's one of the reasons that's mentioned here in verse 27. For all who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. New Testament scholar Scott McKnight says, Since Christ is the Son of God, by being united with him and putting him on through baptism, it's how we also become God's children. Baptism is how we join the family of God. And it's, it's a celebration. It's this visible demonstration of, I have faith, and so I now belong to new brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. Let me put a plug in. Later this summer, at the end of August, we'll go over to the Davis Farm. We'll go down by the river there. And some of you will enter the waters of baptism. And in doing that, we will welcome into this family new family members, new brothers and sisters in that moment. But their membership in the church is not on, on the basis of baptism. It's on the basis of the faith, the, the trust, the desire they have to belong to Jesus in that act. There's no prerequisite to baptism. There's no screening process. Faith is the one thing we must possess, a desire to belong to Jesus. And so Paul says, it's through faith that we become children. It's through faith that we enter God's family. Verse 26, verse 27. But then in verses 28 and verse 29, Paul draws a second and I think even more stunning conclusion. He says that if faith is how we are joined to the one person, Jesus, then in God's family, all who belong to Jesus are one. We don't have all these other identity markers. Jesus is the one thing we now share. So look at verses 28 and verses 29 with me. He says, if, we, if we've all put on Christ, verse 27, through the waters of baptism, if we've all put on this one new person and his faithfulness, then therefore, 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. And you are heirs according to the promise. The church of Jesus Christ lives on this foundation. That all who belong to him are one. All right, we've just been through perhaps one of the most intense years of our lifetime. Where we've experienced polarization and division and separation. And I think even within the church, we have a propensity to make much of our differences. 
You're different from me. I'm different from you. And we separate over these things. Rather than to make much of Jesus. Right? Jesus, the one to whom all of us belong, Paul says. But this declaration here at the end of Galatians 3 it says that all other identity markers, anything else that we would define ourselves around, has to be secondary. They might be significant. They might be hugely important and, and attached to our sense of, of belonging and identity. But, but in order to affirm all those secondary things, we must begin by affirming the first thing, the first place, the gospel that says all of us begin in the oneness in the unity of who Jesus Christ is, because it's him we have put on. Verse 28 here is a bombshell. It was a bombshell in Paul's day. It's, it's equally explosive and, and, and paradigm-shifting in our own. And to help us understand what it would have been like to read this in Paul's context... Let me read to you a paragraph from Gordon Fee. He's a scholar of the New Testament. He says, in the first century, at the time that Paul is writing these words, Gentiles in, in, in broader society, Gentiles had every advantage over Jews. They had access to all kinds of things that Jews did not. So they had these advantages. And so Jews, in response, took refuge in their relationship with God, which they believe advantaged them over the Gentiles. So there was deep and mutual hatred, Fee says. Likewise, in the same culture, same context, masters and slaves were consigned to roles, where power and authority went to the masters. And again, hatred between these two groups was deep and mutual. Same was true for men and women, especially, Fee says, in a household where women were subordinated in every way to their husbands as the master of the household. And so again and again, in all these places, there are rifts, there are divisions. There's a moving apart of humanity. And because of those things, there was a well-known prayer in the, the Gentile community, in the Roman world, that celebrated the, the hierarchy of these things. There was also a prayer prayed frequently by Jewish men in the synagogue at that time. And that prayer went like this. Blessed be God that he did not make me a Gentile. Blessed be God that he did not make me ignorant or a slave. Blessed be God that he did not make me a woman. And in this way of praying, in this way of thinking, in this way of establishing belonging, Right? It's the idea that God's blessing is, is distributed in greater or lesser measure. Greater to some, lesser to others. And it was on the basis of cultural or social or sexual status that you receive those blessings. But when it comes to the gospel that Paul is preaching here, he says those status claims have no place. They have been eliminated. Verse 28, neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. Paul says when you come through 
the doors of the church of Jesus Christ. The Spirit teaches us to pray like this. Blessed be the God that made Jews and Gentiles, that made slaves and free, that made women and men to be one in Christ Jesus. This is the God and Father we bless. And in verse 29 says, if you are in Christ, all of you, all of us have been made heirs to the promises sworn to Abraham and Sarah. All of us are part of the same bloodline. All of us are part of the same family tree. There is one new humanity, he will say in Ephesians. In an effort for us to, to better understand how do we live that out? What is that reality? What does is, what is the theology Paul is preaching in Galatians look like in our current context? I want to let you know about a book that we're inviting everyone at JCC to read next month, starting in July. We have, we have copies. We'll have them available to you in the next few weeks. It's a book written by uh, Dr. John Perkins, and it's called One Blood. Many of us were reading this over the winter months. The deacon board has been reading it more recently together, beginning to talk about it. But Perkins is now uh, 91 years of old, and he has given his life, he's made it his life's work to bring reconciliation and healing among God's people where they are divided. And for him, that work has been particularly along ethnic or, or racial lines. He says, though, that the oneness that we share through faith in Christ, the oneness, the unity we have in Christ, does not eliminate, does not reduce our need for diversity within the church. Perkins says, rather, in Christ we're called to affirm and to dignify our brothers and sisters who are different. In, in chapter 1, let me share just one quote with you. Perkins says, For too long... Many in the church have argued that unity in the body of Christ across ethnic and class lines is a separate issue from the gospel. There's been the suggestion that we can be reconciled to God without being reconciled to our brothers and sisters. It says quite simply, Scripture doesn't bear that out. If we are people who proclaim a gospel that we belong because Jesus has welcomed us. And we also have to preach and live this gospel of reconciliation, right? drawing all people together through our one faith in Jesus. So like I said, in July, we're going to take four weeks to, to read through the book together, to preach through some of the scriptures that Perkins brings, brings up for us to consider. But today I want to give you one little application drawn from this passage in Galatians. A way for us to think about who belongs. If we, if we believe that we enter God's family on the basis of faith, as Paul says, and on the basis of that shared faith, we are all one, then we can try this exercise out this week. I want you to think about what family members do for each other. Right, what do you do for people that are part of your, your biological or immediate family unit? Maybe you offer help in particular ways. Maybe you spend time with them in a particular way. Maybe you listen to your family members. Maybe you offer service or encouragement 
or bring gifts to them at particular times. With those things that we do for our family members in mind, now I want you to think of someone you are not biologically connected to their family, but with whom Paul would say you are now one in Christ Jesus. And I want you to consider doing something family-like for them this week. Extend an act of service. Extend the kind of blessing you would extend, the kind of welcome you would extend to a family member, to that person. And as we turn to, to prayer and then finish in worship today, I want you to just ask the Lord, who, who would you have me bless? Who would you have me welcome? Who would you have me draw near in that way as a brother or sister this week? Lord, thank you for the welcome you've extended to us. Thank you that in Christ Jesus we belong to you today. We've given these offerings, given our lives as an expression of that trusting faith. That we are now one family in you. Would you lead us now in uh, this last time of praise and singing together? Amen. <laughs>